Welcome to the Build Up Podcast, where we attempt to shed light to multiple engineering stories. Today, we have Devin Rampal joining us, a tech innovator with two startups and previous experience working with Honda and GM. And also, he's known as Mr. Innovation. Without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Welcome to the Build Up, engineering stories explained. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our third episode of our Build Up podcast. I am Natash, and I'm always accompanied by my co-host, Abi. How you doing, Abi? I'm great, Natash. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, but I'm really excited because we have one of our close mentors and close friends with us, all the way from Brampton, Ontario, also known as Mr. Innovation, Devin Rampal. Hello, Devin. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Good. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to have you on, Devin. If we want to get right, right into it, explain to the viewers who you are and what you currently do. And another follow-up question to that would be, why are you called Mr. Innovation? That's a good question. So th- thanks for asking that. So just a quick background of myself. I, I, I live in Brampton. I've been in Brampton the majority of my life. Went to high school here, um, middle school, uh, primary school as well. Graduated from Brampton Centennial, and then I went to McMaster for engineering, uh, which is why uh, part of the reason why I think I'm on the podcast as well. So McMaster, I did mechanical engineering, started off my career in the automotive sector, worked for GM for a couple of years, worked for Honda for a couple of years, and then I worked for Velcro, the company that actually invented Velcro. They have an office in Brampton. And now I currently work for the city of Brampton as the uh, innovation technology sector manager. So that's the corporate side. And then on the entrepreneurial side, while I was working these jobs, I also had a startup and I was always working on some kind of uh, technology, some kind of business model. So I did these two things in parallel. I'm still doing them in parallel today. And yeah, so that's that answers your first question, Natasha, in terms of what what is it that I currently do and explaining the reasoning behind Mr. Innovation. This is an interesting one. It kind of just came about. It's a little bit of fun and seriousness mixed in together, right? I, I've never done anything like this in the past, where, but I decided to go out on a limb and I thought I'd try a little bit of personal branding. It's not something I'm pushing heavily, but there's a lot that I do on a day-to-day overall in my projects, just throughout life that's innovation related. Uh, so I thought, you know, why not just brand, brand it as, you know, Mr. Innovation? There's no business behind it. There's, it's just literally a personal branding uh, exercise. You know, life's a journey. <laughs> if you forget, to, and sometimes you forget to document it, it flies by and you forget a ton of it. So the Mr. Innovation brand is just a way for me to document, organize, and kind of remember the work that means so much to me. So I just use it in my hashtag. I changed all of my, um, my LinkedIn handles, my Instagram handles, and just started to build a brand around it. That's super cool. The way that you actually branded yourself and really put yourself out there is like very inspiring and shows how confident you are personally to really take that step forward and start personal branding. Because I know a lot of people really want to get into that, but they're too scared or too um, shy to actually give themselves a name and really take that forward. Going a little bit back to the RAM innovation, right? Your startup, how did you really decide that this is the step you want to go after working at so many big corporate companies? Yeah, that's a good question. So DRAM Innovations was started in 2012, but really the entrepreneurial spirit started a long time ago, right? So my first like dabble in business was when I was in grade four, grade five. And this is when CD burners had first come out, 
And so I spent my birthday money. I had uh, $400 saved up for my birthday money. And then my dad took me to the store um, and I bought a one speed CD burner. So what I started doing was I created a list on Microsoft Word of like CDs, you know, music songs, games, whatever, right? I, any CD I had, I created a list of it. And then I started walking around the playground with this list. And I said, hey, if you want any of these things, I'm selling them, you know, they're $4.99 and I'll burn you a CD. So that was my first like business venture in grade four. Like the principal and the teachers, they weren't too happy about that because of course I was like, I was burning CDs, right? So that was the first one. Grade seven, I got into scanning and photo editing. So I bought a scanner and then I, I started resizing images and blowing up pictures, you know, that kind of thing for, for people as well. This kind of like entrepreneurial type sphere that's it's kind of been in me from a long time. But Dram Innovations is really the culmination of that spirit. It's the intersection of the education, the corporate and the spirit all at one. And then that's kind of how Dram Innovations started off, right? I, I knew I wanted to do something bigger in the world. I, I know I, I don't want to spend my life working at one single corporation. I wanted to change something. I wanted to leave an impact, right? And it, it's not it's neither good or bad. It's It's just people have a calling. And my calling was to make an impact. It is to make an impact. And that's what I want to do in life. That's what I'm driven to do and I'm motivated to do. And I'm not going to stop until I actually do it. That's super inspiring to hear. And on top of that, you actually had an opportunity to take Durham Innovations to the Dragon's Den, which is a very popular TV show here. And I guess for the Americans listening in, that would be equivalent to Shark Tank. And you actually got a chance to pitch your product, which was one of Durham's more popular products if I'm not mistaken. Do you want to take us down that experience and those steps you took to get into the den? Yes, I remember that like so vividly. It was such an experience. So at that time, we didn't even have DRAM innovations, right? The concept that we were developing was a fuel nozzle. It's a dripless fuel nozzle. So I was pumping gas one day and I was working at GM. I was driving from Brampton to Oshawa every single day. And it, it was costing a lot of gas, right? And this is the time when gas was a buck thirty. Uh, so it was an easy couple hundred dollars of gas a week. Um, and I was already driving a Civic, so there wasn't much opportunity to save. But on top of it, I was always like very environmentally minded. So I was pumping gas one day and I remember pulling the nozzle out and I'm seeing these drops fall to the ground. I'm like, this is nuts. Like we can send people to the moon, right, on a spacecraft, but we can't stop drips from a nozzle. Uh, so why is that? So I started doing some research on what technology was out there. I started taking measurements. I remember taking like a little vial, right, and going to the gas nozzle and just trying to capture the drops and measure it. And we were able to actually back calculate. And what we found was the number of drops that drip to the ground every 13 months is equivalent to a BP-sized oil spill around the world. So it, yeah, it was nuts, right? And I was like, okay, well, why is no one doing anything about this? Let's try something. So I started developing a tech that could prevent the drops from falling after you're, when you're pumping gas. And around the same time, Shell happened to sponsor an episode of Dragon's Den. Shell Canada, the, the major gas company, sponsored an episode of Dragon's Den for an energy innovation episode. And my mom was the one that, that told me she, she saw it in the newspaper. And she's like, hey, you should apply to this. And then at first I was like, hmm. I don't know, because like you, you mentioned earlier, right, it's it's a little bit of risk. You're putting yourself out there. What if you fail? What if you embarrass it? Like all of these thoughts come to come to mind. But we pushed through it and I decided to do it anyways. Right. And I remember talking to one of my colleagues at work at the time and I was like, hey, what do you think about this? And this was someone I, I really looked up to. I'd still look up to him a lot. 
even that there was a little bit of hesitation a little bit of doubt just like you know just be careful don't you don't want to put yourself out there too much and then I second guessed it but I was like you know what you you just got to go through and do it right you just got to do it because you don't know unless you try so we did it and we were shortlisted as 10th across the country there's 1100 applicants for this thing by the way for this competition on Dragon's Den yeah 1100 applicants across the country um we were nominated top 10 and then we were nominated top three and then we made it on the show where we came second place across the country that's fantastic I'm, that speaks volume to the, about the idea and vision that you had that saying that I don't want to be someone that's doing a nine to five and a corporate life. I want to do, I want to make an impact. About your product though, that was on Dragon's Den. How did that product even come to life in the sense of like, how was the whole design process behind it? Because it couldn't be easy or else someone else might've thought of it already. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. How it came about, it's it morphed in so many different ways. And even the version on the website now, it's very different today than what it was by, on, on our website currently. The design process, there's a couple ways of doing it. I wouldn't necessarily recommend the way I did it. So I can give kind of what we did and then what we learned from it and how I would kind of prescribe a design process. What we did was a market study, right? And typically this is what you would do. You do a market study, you would see what's out in the market today for solving these problems. And then you do a patent study, right? And you see what intellectual property is out there today. So we did both of those things, but in parallel to that, we already had a prototype. So we kind of, we built a prototype without doing those studies. Well, at least without doing the intellectual property study, we did do a slight market study. But the first iteration of the prototype, we just put a lip on the nozzle and the lip actually didn't do anything. And conceptually, I was like, oh yeah, this just makes sense. Just put a lip on the nozzle. No, but it didn't work like that. The lip just filled up with fuel um, and it also caused the fuel to spray in different directions. So that didn't work out so well. And then we put a mesh on it thinking that, you know, maybe the mesh would catch the drops. And as we had the mesh on it, we realized that we can we can actually create a vacuum inside of the nozzle. It continuously morphed. And today we have none of that technology. Today we actually have, we we, we dived really deep into the science of dripping in a nozzle. Um, and at one point we even started a dripless company, right? That specializes in anything that drips, but I, I won't go too, <laughs> too far into that. Um, but we went into the science of dripping from a nozzle and we found ways in which that, uh, where fuel was pooling inside, and we eliminated, we went right to the source and we eliminated um, the fuel pooling at the source. And that's where technology is today. And that's what our intellectual properties run as well. The prescribed method, what I would kind of suggest in terms of how to go about the design process, there's, of course, a multitude of different ways. Two things I think that could help is as you're coming up with your design, do your market study, do your intellectual property study, and then try to find gaps in the existing intellectual property that you can design into, right? And you fill those gaps in such a way that you add value to the end customer. So that way, you're as you're designing right from the get-go, you have a unique um, set of intellectual property, a unique set of claims, and a unique design that you can take to the market. There you go, folks. That's something you can take back today and actually use towards the products that you're making. Devin, that actually made a lot of sense. But it was it was actually really inspiring to hear that because when we talk about our time in design experience at university, our main thing is just to go down and start listing down all the ideas we have and then making a design matrix. There was very rare times we actually talked about market study, patent study, and puts like your situation to reality saying that, you know, you can have a great idea, but if that idea is already out there or if that idea doesn't want to be used, then there's no point in doing it. So that's actually really interesting to say. 
Yeah, you're right. Like in school, I remember those matrices, right? Like very vividly. And I think it's okay as a theoretical study, but when you get into into the business world or into actually developing technology and there's dollars on the table, definitely it, it's helpful to understand what's out there and how you can make it better and optimize it. And, and also what's wrong with it, what's, up, what's out there. There's a lot of solutions out there that you know, only fulfill a, a portion of the market or they're not fulfilling their um, their purpose to as good as they can, right? So there's an opportunity always for improvement. From an entrepreneurship perspective, you want to find a pain point for your customer, right? You got to find really what causes that pain and build a solution around that pain. And one thing that's going to help you find that pain point is a market study and understanding what's out there and what's not working in the market today. That's pretty interesting. That actually leads me to the next question regarding your other startup, Clean Air AI. What is this startup and what motivates you to start this organization? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cleaner.ai is our full focus right now. So the nozzle is ta- has taken a backseat and cleaner.ai and our product Alvi is front and center. Cleaner.ai is a company that focuses on air quality in commercial settings and residential settings. So are you familiar with your furnace in, in your basement? Mm-hmm. So in that furnace, there's a filter, right? And that filter right now, it's just a standard pleated filter. They haven't been innovated in you know, over 50 years. There's nothing to it. It's just a piece of cloth that filters out air particulate. And the, ty- the better the air filter means it's, it's woven tighter. And then that means it's harder to force air through. So at cleaner.ai, what we have is a filter that delivers HEPA class air quality. It reduces your energy consumption and it's smart, right? So this kind of, this idea came up while I was um, I was in school. I was doing my uh, my master's at, at Rotman, and I started to learn about a lot of the smart technology that's in the market, right? And then working with the team at Cleaner.ai, we brainstormed. And again, to Natasha's point, sometimes brainstorming isn't always the best place to start, but sometimes it is, right? You just got to know when when to use it. But in this case, it, it helped generate ideas. Uh, so we started to look for opportunities in the home that weren't going smart as yet. And one overlooked area was the furnace room, right? Everything was going smart. Like you had like smart wearable devices, you had smart light switches, smart plugs, smart lights, smart toasters, smart fridges. But these were all things that were in your face. Now, uh, one area that was overlooked, again, is the furnace room, right? So what we decided to do was develop a smart furnace filter that could remind you when to change. Because one of the pain points for the industry or for just homeowners is they forget to change their furnace filter. And what happens is the furnace actually breaks down and they have to call a technician in to to fix it, right? So we can actually save a ton of people a lot of money from a service standpoint and from an energy standpoint if they change their filters on time. That's super cool. You know, we always change our filters, I feel, a little bit later than we should. And hopefully... Maybe we should, as a family, look into your your product. <laughs> they say every three months. Every three months, you're supposed to change it. Ours actually lasts about between four and six months, so we all up to twice as long. Interesting. So, as as this new startup, how did you go about financing this company? How did you go about raising money? What was that process like? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question as well. So, actually, a lot of the financing because I'm working um, at the same time and doing the startup at the same time. Uh, both are essentially full-time hours, right? I'm working full-time for a startup, full-time for clean air, uh, and and full-time uh, with my job, whatever my job was at the time. So I used my salary, or at least a portion of my salary, to fund the business, 
that was a way of hedging, I guess, my risk in the startup world. And even today, I'm still doing that today. So we're completely bootstrapped. Um, we just actually raised a pre-seed round a couple of months ago with an investor out of the U.S. So we raised that pre-seed round and now we're putting up our seed round to finance and take the, the business to the next level. Wow. That's actually really cool that you guys are finally getting that appreciation for your product and so on is seeing the value that you guys are offering to the world. So that, that feeling must be amazing. It is. It's going to be a, a lot better once we actually get this, once we actually close the seed round as well. And once <laughs> we, we start generating a little bit more revenue, we are still um, an early stage company, but we have some really, really great traction. So beyond these two startups that you've created, what do you do to keep your mind like active and like make sure you're being as creative as possible on top of being an entrepreneur and a corporate mechanical designer or what you're doing with Brampton right now? Yeah, well, so I actually got out of the engineering world recently. As of 2017, I spent about, I'd say, six to seven years in engineering. And then I, I moved out of it and went into the business side. So at Brampton, I'm not doing engineering work. I'm still working in the technical field from innovation and technology, but I'm not doing the, I'm kind of a little bit on the business side and not so much on the engineering side now. And to answer your question, so this is different for everyone. For me personally, I find I always need to be in a state of learning, right? So either I need to be in school doing like a certificate, doing a degree, or if I'm not in school, I need to be really rigorous about my my schedule and I have to put dedicated time for reading, right? And, and I find once I'm in that constant state of learning, that's what unlocks the creativity. Um, but again, like that's that's different for everyone. There's a couple other different things I do. A lot of my best thinking actually happens when I'm in the shower. And I know I'm not the only person that this happens to, right? There's a lot <laughs> of people out there. So I found a waterproof notepad, right? That was built for people <laughs> that have their best thoughts in the shower. And I have a waterproof notepad in the shower with me. So I actually make notes as I'm in there. I have to get me one of those. I feel like I have groundbreaking ideas in the shower. <laughs> highly, highly recommend, right? But I think the key takeaway for, for people is notice when you're in flow, right? So when, when you're in that state of creativity, take a second. I, I know it's exciting, right? It's really exciting once you get there and your brain just goes wild and you're having all these really cool thoughts, but also take a second to remove yourself from the situation and notice the settings around you, right? So the temperature, where are you? What's the ambiance like? And then part of that flow experience has to do with your environment, right? And if you start to recognize what environment you're in flow, you can replicate that environment and try to put you into flow in yourself into flow more often. Wow. That's, that's actually interesting. I never thought about it that way. But on top of the environment, what other skills or experiences have made up your overall creative thinking mindset? Because it you can't just say that you respond like this. Like, you know, one day you're just, you're just a creative thinker. There has to be some sort of driven or some mindset from before that allowed you to go alongside of Dram Innovation for you to become an engineer, for you to just go beyond the corporate setting. Yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, I think probably one of the biggest things is open-mindedness. And one thing I've seen time and time again in the corporate world, especially early in my career, was how close-minded a lot of people were, especially as you're a junior engineer, you're trying to come up with new things. You're trying to think differently. But there was so much backlash sometimes and so much resistance sometimes against that kind of thinking, right? And I came up against it a lot, a lot early in the career. But I tried not to let that change me as a young engineer. I rechanneled it, right? So I took that creative thinking and instead of saying, oh man, this is not going to work, I'm just going to stop. I said, okay, well, if it's not going to work here, let me try it over here in my own business. 
right? If they won't let me be creative here, let me do it over here. But really, it comes down to answer your question, Natasha, is open-mindedness. A lot of people have a knee-jerk reaction to say, you know, when they hear a new idea, they automatically start thinking about why it's not going to work, right? And I say, use the other side of the coin and start thinking about reasons to why it can work and how you can make it work. And that goes for, in general, for any idea that comes out, you don't want to be one of those people, like a naysayer, right? You don't want to be one of those naysayers. You want to find ways to make things work. And I find that's the most productive way. And it doesn't mean that you have to execute on it. It doesn't mean you have to go with an idea. Sometimes a, a bad idea is a bad idea, but you can do the thought experiment and you can kind of see it through. And even through saying, instead of going all the reasons why it wouldn't work, you can say a couple of reasons how it could work. And then you start to realize, you know what, it could work, but maybe it's not feasible. There's a better way. Right. So it comes down to open mindedness and keeping an open mind as much as possible and resisting that urge, because a lot of us have it within us, uh, resisting that urge to shoot down an idea the second someone brings it up. Wow. I don't know about UOB, but every the more Devin speaks, the more he brings up his all experiences and everything he has. It just it brings makes me realize a lot about myself, about what I can do for the future as well. You know what it is? It's always these guests that we have on the show it just make you want to do better in life and do more things, you know? I 100% agree. I mean, Devin, besides the two startups that you had and your time and experience working as an engineer with GM, with Honda, and even Velcro, which is pretty cool, you are currently working as with the city of Brampton as the in the innovation and technology sector. What was the purpose in transitioning to that area? And I'm guessing as being a part of that area, you get to see a lot of cool projects that are given to you or given to the city of Brampton. What are those projects like? Yeah, my role at the city right now, it's a perfect insert intersection of entrepreneurship, of innovation, technology, technical, like how blessed I was to find this role was, was phenomenal. I was so happy that it came by. Like if there was a dream job for me, this would be it. If my heart wasn't in entrepreneurship, this is the dream job. So I absolutely love the job I have now. And the way it came about was interesting because from an engineering standpoint, it's weird to see an engineer in the technical world jump into a role like economic development. Uh, so it wasn't just the technical, but it was an intersection of a couple different facets of my life. So technical was one thing, yes, because part of the role at the city is working with technology companies, right? So you need to understand how they speak. You have to understand their language. And often you're meeting, you're meeting technical people, you're meeting engineers, right? And CEOs, people that have built companies from the ground up, especially at tech companies from the ground up. So you have to be able to speak their language. Uh, so that was the technical side. Another facet that intersected was the entrepreneurship side. I work with a lot of the entrepreneur partners in Brampton. I've been working with them for a long time. I've, I was already engaged with Sheridan College from an entrepreneurship perspective. I was working with the Rick Center for quite some time already. Um, since 2012, actually, I was, uh, I was a client at the Rick Center. I was already ingrained and uh, involved in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. And then the third facet that intersected was actually the business side, right? So at the time when, when I was hired, I was actually, I was doing my MBA. So we had this melting pot of like technical entrepreneurship and then business. And that's kind of what helped me get this role at the city of Brampton. And, and it, it was a dream job for me, right? It's a, it's a really fantastic place to work. The work we do is super interesting. It's different every single day. And a lot of the work I do there revolves around building an innovation ecosystem for entrepreneurs in Brampton to thrive. If you could pick one company that you're currently working with through the city of Brampton or that you regularly work with, in that organization, who would it be? Whew. 
that's a tough one. I, I don't have... All right, top three. Give me top three. <laughs> what I can do is I can give one of my favorite initiatives that I work on. And one of my favorite initiatives is the Innovation District in downtown Brampton, right? And Brampton is so well positioned along the Innovation Corridor, right? And the Innovation Corridor stretches between Toronto and Waterloo um, along the GO Train line. And Brampton's right in the middle of that. And in the Innovation District, we have some fantastic partners that provide entrepreneurial services, co-working spaces, funding opportunities, mentorship, introductions to investors. We have a number of partners now in the Innovation District that did not exist in 2017. Right. So in 2017, we, we were a city of nearly 700,000 people, approaching 700,000, and we didn't have an incubator in the city. Right? But you go to city, you go to towns and, and smaller cities like Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay had an incubator. Sault Ste. Marie, they had an incubator, but Brampton did, and we're a city of 700,000. So there was a lot of opportunity. We know there's entrepreneurs in Brampton with 700,000 people. You know there must be entrepreneurs here. So it's just finding them and bringing them out to work together and collaborate, right, and showcasing them. And every day, um, hearing about you know, new new entrepreneurs in Brampton, new startups in Brampton, the amount of talent we have in the city is phenomenal. So if I had to pick my, one of my favorite projects that I've worked with at the city, uh, it would probably be the Innovation District. That's really cool to hear. And that Brampton's taking that step forward to support these entrepreneurs that we, we 100% know they're there with almost a million people in that city. If you could give any advice to any student entrepreneur or any graduate that's looking to get into the space, for example, bootstrapping their company that they want to start or balancing work and starting a company themselves or joining an incubator, what would that piece of advice be? That's a good question. There's no singular answer. There's no singular like best way to do it. I think there's there's lots of different ways. We've seen like multiple success cases where people just have an idea, they drop out of school right away. And then there's also a lot of cases where that doesn't work. My advice would be, I think finding a pain point is one big one, right? And in the beginning, I would really make sure you validate your concept before doing something drastic, right? So you come up with a concept, make sure you have it validated, make sure that there's real customers that would be willing to commit dollars to it. And having the dollars on the table is really important. Uh, It's easy to get a letter of support generally, right? You get a letter of support, that's one thing. But to have someone actually exchange money for your service or product, that's a different story. So I would say take your customer as far on that journey as you can with your prototype. Right. And yes, that may be a letter of support, but make sure that letter of support is really, really validated. Right. Make sure that they fully understand and you have a real commitment from them. You feel like they're really involved and they're not just giving you the letter for the sake of giving you the letter. The other aspect is who you're validating with. I've come across a couple of startups where they've validated a technology and they maybe have a sale from a, a university. Right. But they haven't had a sale in the corporate world. And a sale from university is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. That's that's a good sign. But also keep in mind that a sale from a university or school, it's, it's kind of a safe sandbox in the sense that universities are typically a little bit more forward thinking. They're open to trying new things. Right. But in the corporate world, they may not be as forward thinking or may not be open to trying those new things. So get validation from multiple data points. Don't just focus your validation in one industry or one area, say all in universities, unless your tech is only focused on universities, for example. But make sure you have a couple of different data points to really truly validate your concept. And then that's when you know you got something real. Wow. 
I mean, Devin, it's that's just great advice to hear from someone that's been has a lot of experience from their two startups and even working in the corporate world and now working with the city of Brampton overall. So I'm guessing this is the type of advice you would give to people that are actually coming to the Brampton incubator, right? And wanting to take their product from, you know, just a prototype and to the next level of actually making it a product for commercial use or uh, individual use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so we tend to dig a little bit deeper into the business. I'd sit down with a startup company or a business for, you know, anywhere between half an hour to an hour or longer to really understand their business model and and then try to lay out the advice. I don't typically like to just give advice off the cuff. I like to really understand a little bit better. And then my type of mentorship is asking questions, right? So as I like to ask tough questions and kind of peel away at this, like if it was an onion, I'm peeling away at the layers of the onion to get to the core, right? And really understand and then provide mentorship and guidance. A lot of what we do at the city is I would, if a startup comes in, I would understand their business model and then understand which partner to direct them to. So it could be a partner at the Ryerson Adventure Zone. It could be a partner at the Rogers Cybersecurity Catalyst or the Rick Center, Founder Institute or the Brampton Entrepreneur Center. But every startup has different needs. So I try to understand the type of startup they are and where, where to direct them, as well as I'll offer my own advice if I felt like I had something valuable to offer in that space. Oh, that's fantastic, Devin. I mean, this whole conversation that we've had, it's it's been amazing. And we want to thank you again for coming on to this, to coming on with, on with this journey, actually, going from your starting at your days from McMaster to now being as the Mr. Innovation or Mr. Innovator of Brampton, if we want to call it. I know that Abby actually has a quick little treat for that we do at the typically end of the buildup, where we ask rapid questions in order to just get your interest and other fun stuff behind you. This is just a fun little thing to get, to make you seem more humane, <laughs> I guess. So um, Abby, if you want to take it away. So it'll just be 10 rapid questions. First thing that comes to your head, they're just simple option questions. So we'll start. In three, two, one. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite food? Pizza. Coffee or tea? Tea. Frozen yogurt or ice cream? Ice cream. Watch a movie or workout? Watch a movie. Favorite season? Fall. iPhone or Android? Android. Spicy or mild? Spicy, 100%. Dine in or take out? Uh, dine out. And early mornings or late nights? Early mornings all day. Oh. I think we're at a 50-50 almost on the podcast. Most people, it, it's really a 50-50 with the early mornings and late nights. I've noticed that uh, a lot of, I don't mean this in the wrong way, Devin. The a younger lot of crowd? Young, a younger crowd that we interview usually do late nights. I'm guessing it's from the university days and there's them progressing it forward. But then typically when we talk to people that have been in the industry for a longer time, they want to sleep early and actually wake up earlier. So Devin, I just want to say thank you again from Abby and I on coming onto this podcast. We really appreciate all the advice that you've given us. And I'm pretty sure the audience and everyone listening will also appreciate it as well. If there is any place that they can reach you at, or if there's any other information that you want to provide about yourself, where can they find you and where can they get that information? Yeah, uh, my LinkedIn. Just look me up on LinkedIn. Send me a message there, uh, Devin Ramphal. And bracket Mr. Innovation, close bracket. So you can look me up right there on LinkedIn and send me a message and I'm happy to have a conversation and see see how I can help. For all the listeners, all of Devin's social media links, other contacts will be put in the show notes. And with that, Devin, I really want to say thank you again. And this is Abhi Natesh signing out on Peloton.